praise forever to the King of Kings. I'm excited to be here this morning, excited about the uh, series we're starting today. But I'm going to be up front with you. This is a little bit out of my comfort zone. This is really not my like normal MO to preach a theme series. I like to dig into books and I like to break out the historical background and talk about the audience and talk about the author and talk about the inspiration and, and just kind of reveal, you know, the scripture, just kind of try to pull the curtain back and try to show you what God's word says in the deepest sense that I can. So this is going to be a little bit different. So today we're going to start a series for this month that will be a break from Philippians. And as part of this series, we're asking all of you to read one chapter of the book of John every day. Now, you can either start today or you can get one and two today. Uh, it's really up to you. It's not going to change a whole lot except when we get to uh, toward the end of the month, we're going to have a, a, a sermon that might be, you might be a, a day before or a day after, but it'll be okay. Uh, this is an introductory challenge that we, uh, that we really hope will add to what some of you are already doing. But for others, we hope that this will be a beginning. This will be a starting place, a jumping in place. Um, you can't get in the pool until you jump in either off the diving board or off the side. So we're, we're trying to help try to, for some of us who maybe aren't as, as you know, uh, accustomed to and, and in the routine of Bible reading, we're trying to kind of give you a, a nudge, okay? So the book of John, you can read it in any translation you want. Uh, I would recommend the following, okay? I'm just going to give you a rundown. Uh, from, from readability up, okay? The New Living Translation the New International Version, uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, the Hallman Christian Standard Bible, the ESV, the NASB, the New King James, or the King James. So you've got eight options, and I might have left one out, but, but just in general terms, those eight are solid. You're not going to have any problems with them, and they're safe to read. I'll be honest with you, the first, book, the first Bible that I read through all the way was the New Living Translation. Kind of a dope, and so I, I had a hard time reading some of the harder, you know, more difficult translations. The New Living was a little bit easier, and so I was able to read through it. What I would do is I would have my King James, my trusty, rusty King James on my nightstand, and I would read the New Living, and if I heard something, read something, I was like, I don't know about that. I'd look it up in the King James because that's what I was raised on, and it would help me kind of put the dots together, draw the lines, and so I would recommend that you do that. Um, but before we start this series... Again, this is out of my comfort zone, but I need to share a story with you that will hopefully illustrate our purpose with these series. All right, with this series. All right, so how many of you were alive in January of 1991? I know y'all are like, nope, 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 nope. Some of y'all were in college in January of 1991. I'm just, we're going to leave it there. All right, so in January of 1991, I went to Montgomery, Alabama to uh, MEPS. Anybody know what MEPS is? So I go to MEPS and I, I'm going up there just to take the test for nuclear Navy. That's all I'm going to do. My dad made me kind of tell him that. I might have promised. I don't know. Wouldn't matter <laughs> at that time in my life. So I was going to take the test for the nuclear Navy program. My uncle was a 10 can sailor. Uh, he was uh, Navy through and through. He had been in the Navy. He got out. He got his degree. went back in. Uh, they started having kids. He got out and went to the full-time reserves, and he retired as a commander, I think, in the United States Navy Reserve. So he loved it, and he had talked me into it. I was a skinny kid with bad acne and a permed mullet. 
I look like I ate that kid now. I got your jokes. It's okay. Um, I had a, I had burned the candle at both ends uh, in, a, in a multiple, you know, sense of that phrase. But I had been working night shift at Food World, stocking shelves, and I'd been going to school full time during the day. And I needed some kind of a, a break. I needed some kind of an out. So I worked a night shift. I went to school. I came home. I got a shower. I slept on the couch for about 30 minutes, and my recruiter came and picked me up. We went to MEPS. Uh, spent the night in a crummy hotel room with a bunch of noise. I got up the next morning. I went and had to do all the physical stuff. Basically, for those of you that don't know, you walk around in your underwear all day, and they poke and prod and weigh and measure. And after all that, I went to go sit for this test, and I missed it by seven points. Seven measly, stinking points. Praise the Lord. The guy said, man, every question you missed was in trigonometry. I said, well, that makes sense. I've never had trigonometry. He says, what's the highest math you've had? I said, I had two weeks of algebra two. I had a 19 average, and I made a, you know, a universal decision to drop the class instead of taking 19 as my average into the, into the first six weeks. So failed the class. I was kind of bummed out. I was like, hey, I'll go back home. I'll figure something out. Maybe I'll take a year off and work and save money. And then this guy, being a good recruiter, started talking to him, and he says, hey, They've got this thing called the Navy College Fund, and if you sign up for one of these 10 or 12 jobs, you get the Navy College Fund, and it's so much, just like $40,000, $44,000 for your college. I was like, okay, uh, tell me more. So I looked at this list, and I decided I wanted to be an operations specialist, and uh, that, that gave me the opportunity to, to sign up. And so later that afternoon, I raised my right hand and swore that I would support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I would bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I would obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Honestly, I didn't understand all that fully at the time, but it sounded cool and made me feel a little bit like Rambo when I said it. So I came home and I told my parents at supper what I'd done, and three days later, Operation Desert Storm began, and my dad, who had quit smoking for about six months, picked it back up. Uh, Desert Storm obviously was over by the time I got out of boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois. Uh, then when I finished my A school in Damneck, Virginia, I had missed the war altogether. But I did go straight to sea when I joined my ship, the USS Yosemite, AD 19, and spent six months in the Middle East and in the Mediterranean during Operation Desert Shield. All right, now, I told you all that story for this. Think with me for a minute and imagine how different things would have been for me in my Navy career if they had sent me straight to the ship before they sent me to boot camp and before they sent me to A school. If I had gone home at supper that night, told my mom and dad what had happened, three days later the Gulf War broke out and they called me up and said, report to Mayport, Florida and get on this ship. How, how different would I have looked? I wouldn't have known how to dress. I wouldn't have known how to store my things in my tiny little coffin locker in my bed. I wouldn't have understood what they meant when they said, uh, revelly, revelly, all hands heave out and trice up. Uh, I wouldn't have understood what general quarters was. All, you know, proceed up and forward on the starboard side, down and aft on the port side. I wouldn't have known what a starboard and the port was. Much less would I have known how to sit in front of a SP-25 radar and track ships and aircraft or use a maneuvering board, or use a navigational chart. I wouldn't have known how to do any of that, so I would have been thrust into this new situation, new surroundings, completely oblivious to what I was there to do. Now, that would have been pretty stupid, wouldn't it? 
I would have been undisciplined. I would have been unfamiliar with the lingo. I would have been clueless about my job as an operations specialist. I would have been unaware of the emergency procedures, unable to understand what the radar was showing, and unprepared for the grueling schedule that we worked while we were at sea. The point of all of this is that before I could be sent to a ship and used in military action, I had to be trained. I had to go to boot camp. I had to go to A school because an untrained sailor is no sailor at all. Now, the same applies to followers of Christ to a great extent. One of the great missteps we make in churches is that we get someone to profess faith and be baptized, but then we leave them to fend for themselves in spiritual battle without proper training or equipping. The goal of the next few weeks will be to look at some general principles that every follower of Christ should know. For many, this will likely be a refresher course but for some, it will be new and vital information. Now, there are many passages that cover much of this information, but for the purposes of launching off, uh, casting away from the pier, if you will, to stick to the Navy terms, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. So we're going to look at the last of Peter's letters as we dig into this passage to see what it can tell us about boot camp for believers. So if you would, let's stand and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 14 through 18. 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Let's go back to 2 Timothy. <laughs> I got a typo in there. I'll have to fix it. Sorry. 2 Timothy. That'll make a lot more sense. 2 Timothy 3, and we'll read 14 through 18. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing those from whom you learned, and that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father God, speak today through your word. Help us to understand what you want us to understand. Help us to glean from this what you would have us to apply to our lives to help make us stronger followers of Christ. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. All right, sorry about that confusion. That would be 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. So the first thing I want us to get from this <clears throat> is that we need information. Uh, what, most of what I learned at boot camp was informative. You know, it was instructional. It was preparing me for being able to be trained. Uh, it was breaking me down, tearing me down so they could build me back up. <clears throat> Again, I was a young redneck from Florella had never been anywhere, had never done anything. I think the furthest I'd ever been in my life was Six Flags. Uh, so I, I'd never done anything, never been anywhere. And so they had to take me and de deconstruct me and make me into what they needed me to be. I went into boot camp un uh, uh, kind of uh, unsure of myself, tentative, hesitant. And then they built me into somebody who had self-confidence, who was ready to go and tackle whatever life had for me. So this is the same kind of thing here. We need information. Look at verse 14. He says, make every effort to be found in peace without spot or blemish before him. 
that's, that's what we're trying to do is make every effort. And so here's what we do. If we're to make every effort, then we're to, we're to be, uh, have to have a willingness to do more than attend church on Sundays only. If that's all we ever want to do, if that's our whole focus in life is just go to church, check it off the, check it off the list, and move on, then we're never going to be what God has, has really called us to be. Can you honestly say that you are making every effort to live for Christ Jesus? Some other translations say spotless and blameless, but the idea is the same. Just like the animals in the, in the Old Testament that were sacrificed, we must be without defect if we're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12.1 tells us. We have got to get ourselves cleansed and purified and ready to be brought to the altar and, and, and laid out as a sacrifice. Our, our command from the Savior is purity. Not get by, not, not do better than this other person or, the, or, or get better than I was yesterday, but our, our goal is to be like Christ. It's to be spotless and blameless. So the same Greek word without spot is used in 1 Peter 1.19. It says, like that of a lamb without defect or without spot or blemish. And this is the same thing it's talking about when it refers to Jesus. Like that of a lamb, this is the, the lamb without spot or blemish. We have to study the Bible to gain information on how we can live a life that is spotless by living like Jesus. Now, turn over to 2 Peter. Turn over to 2 Peter and look at verse 15. He says, Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Some believe that since Jesus hasn't returned yet, he's not going to. But God's patience with mankind is a blessing and not a bluff. Now, I want to remind you of this. Just because he hasn't come back yet doesn't mean he's not going to, but he did not tell us that I'm going to go, and when I go, you try to figure out when I'm coming back. That was not the information that he gave us before he left. What was the information? He said, go make disciples. I've been given all authority under heaven, therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the great commission. That's our goal of what we're supposed to do until Jesus comes back. We're not supposed to doubt his return, but we're also not supposed to fixate on his return. When we fixate on the return of Christ, we fail to do what Christ has left us here to do. We should study the Bible to know Jesus, not to solve some secret riddle God has hidden there about when Jesus is returning. See, he's coming back, but it doesn't matter when he's coming back. Even Jesus said you can know the season. Well, let me tell you something. We're in the season. We were in the end of time when Jesus returned to the Father 40 days after his resurrection. That was the end times. We are living in the end times. Let me tell you something I know without a shadow of a doubt. You and I are closer to meeting Jesus today than we were yesterday. That doesn't mean that he's going to come back tomorrow, but that means you might not see tomorrow. You should be a whole lot more concerned with how you're living today than whether or not Jesus is coming back on some certain date. You should be focused on making sure that you are a living sacrifice, laying yourself on the altar to be used by God in whatever way he sees fit, not focused on when he's going to return. God did not leave this as some kind of a, a riddle to solve, as some kind of a national treasure movie that we're going to go find some Bible in some museum, and on the back of it it's going to have some date scrawled out in blood. That's not what we're here for. 
So, the, so reading the Bible, studying the Bible is the first step in gaining information. This is the milk. The Bible talks about milk and meat. Let me give you some verses. Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's good, right? Milk is good. Hebrews 5, 12 and 13. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he or she is an infant. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you're still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and living like unbelievers? If you see an infant with a baby bottle, that's not that big a deal, right? Everybody's seen an infant with a baby bottle? Now, imagine if old Earl down at the plant showed up for lunch and he opened up his uh, lunchbox and he pulled out a baby bottle. I hear some of y'all snickering already. If, you, if he worked at Farley, <laughs> Earl would have a bad day. If he got to lunch at the break room in the system operator shack and he pulled out a baby bottle and popped that nipple in his mouth and started drinking on it, he'd, he'd have to quit. <laughs> they, would, they would be merciless. See, that's the thing. Some of us are babies in Christ and we need milk. The problem is some of us have never gotten out of the stage of milk where we've taken the bottle out of our mouth and we've grabbed a knife and a fork wanting to cut our own meat. You send a baby to daycare with a bottle, but you send an adult to work with a lunchbox. So the first thing we need to understand is that we have to gather information. But if we gather information and that's it, then all we've had is milk. All we've been is bottle fed. But we also have to make applications. Um, look at verse 16 in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says here, he speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of scriptures. So what do they do? If they, if they only have the meat, they can't understand the, if they only have the milk, they can't understand the meat. If they only are used to milk, they don't understand when somebody's twisting the scriptures, when somebody's taking something out of context. This is such an immediate danger in 2020. Listen, there are so many people, there are so many prophets on YouTube giving you all kind of bad information. There's so many false prophets that are floating around out there giving you bad information. You need to be able to discern what is truth and what is lie. Peter is telling us that there are parts of the Bible that are difficult to grasp, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to put those parts aside. He says that ignorant and crooked people will use the fact that there are hard things to understand for their own desires, but that leads to their own demise. So it's for their own desires that they do this, but it actually leads to their own demise. Let me give you a list of people that would be like. This would be like the prosperity gospel piranhas. They prey on the sorrowful and simple-minded who believe their lies. This is also the denominational decriers who claim that theirs is the only real church. Hey, let me tell you something. If anybody ever tells you, well, our denomination is the only real church, run. Then you also have the viral video visionaries. These are my favorites. 
who take parts of Scripture out of context to promote their own fame or to get clicks, likes, or follows for their online videos. Most of these guys have never been anywhere near a seminary, and they've never learned how to better understand and teach the Bible because they've never truly discipled anybody. They sit in their pickup truck, and they make videos where they tell everybody else, hey, I need some message for every pastor in America. Hey, buddy, why don't you just mind your business? Why don't you, how about you manage your flock and let me manage my flock? I don't think John MacArthur needs to hear from Billy Bob and his 40-member congregation in the middle of the backwoods of North Carolina. But these are the guys that get on there, and these are the guys that get all the clicks and likes. You know why? Because they're ear ticklers. They speak to what we want to hear. Yeah, that's right, man. Roll Trump and, 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 you know, glory, glory, hallelujah, and wave the flag. and all. Listen. These guys don't know up from down. They've never truly studied the scripture. What they do is they look for a verse that they can pluck out and use as their little platform to try to get a bunch of people to watch their videos. You know why? Because that monetizes it for them. There was a guy recently who had a video. And listen, honestly, y'all, it took me two minutes. I googled his name and his church name, and I found out that he had left his wife for the church secretary he was a deadbeat dad. There were all kind of stuff. They were trying to get him to come pay child support. They wouldn't pay for his kids. And I'm not trying to drag this guy through the mud. That's why I'm not using his name. I'm just telling you, there are some terrible people out there that put the name pastor, minister, bishop, whatever, and they get out there on these viral videos, and they're, they're full of just junk and fluff. But if all you do is drink milk, they hold the bottle out, and you pop the nipple in your mouth, and they just hold it and feed you. You've got to be able to discern what is true and what is untrue. Then you also have the faith healer phonies who cheat people out of money for healing that can never be bought. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to use this name because he's been around for a long time. And now, I've heard that he's, he's repented of his fake ways. But Benny Hinn is either a fake or he's the cruelest man alive today. Because let me tell you something. If he can heal people at, at, a, uh, at, a, at a revival service, at a tent meeting, he ought to go to Shriners. He ought to go to women and children's. He ought to go to MD Anderson. He ought to go to St. Jude's. He ought to heal every child that's got cancer. He ought to heal every man, woman, boy, and girl with addiction. So he's either a fake or he's pure evil that he wouldn't do it for everybody, but he would only do it to those who come and give to his ministry. In verse 17, he says this. Be on your guard. Why are we supposed to be on our guard, Peter? So that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability. Peter tells us it's going to happen, and he warns us not to fall for any of it. Hey, church, wake up. Wake up. Get off a face bag and get in the Bible. Get off of Oprah and get in the Bible. Stop reading some self-help guru that's flesh and start reading the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of Almighty God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. See, this is the meat. This is what every pastor should desire to do. If you're a pastor that desires to spend your entire pastorate standing here holding a bottle, you're a charlatan. You're a false prophet. You're a heretic. 
every pastor's goal should be that I can equip you to take this beautiful word and go home and digest it for yourself. This is meat, Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. I'm just going to just, let me just put it this way. If you want to be prepared for the return of Christ, you're not going to get all that you need from me one time a week. You're not going to get all you need from me twice a week. You're not going to get all you need from me and our small group teachers, and that's three trips a week. The only way you're going to be prepared for the return of Christ, the only way that you're going to be equipped for every good work, the only way that you're going to accomplish your mission that Christ left you with is if you get out a fork and knife and you dive into this word and you learn how to cut it up and eat it for yourself. We all started on milk, but at some point we all learned how to eat a sandwich or how to cut our own meat because we had to in order to survive. We cannot survive adulthood if our only meals are from a bottle and we can't survive the Christian walk on that kind of diet either. Pastors and teachers prepare lessons to teach in order to prepare students to learn. That's what our mission is. Students should prepare themselves to learn in order to prepare themselves to live. Now not every believer has the gift to teach, but we all have the command to learn. So we must gather information, we must make application, but then there must also be, and this is the key to it, transformation. How can we be sure we don't fall for a fake gospel? How can we be assured of our salvation? Peter explains it in verse 18. Some of y'all have figured out what I did, and I'm just going to act like I didn't do it. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. By staying close and clean to the Lord Jesus, we can learn what truth really is and we can be trained, watch me, to follow that truth. When you have a deer dog, he's not a good deer dog unless he can find what? If you, anybody ever had a deer dog that only found like birds? <laughs> you even have a, how, about, how about this? You know, what, you know what the best rabbit dog in the world is? A lousy deer dog. A lousy deer dog, a trail of rabbit like you ain't never seen. We have to, here, here, how, do you, how do you get a good deer dog? You teach them what the smell of deer is. You teach them, you teach them what, what, what you, and sometimes it's rough. Sometimes you got to shock them or you got to whip them. Sometimes you got to coach them. You got to train them. Sometimes you got to stick them back in the box and yell at them and say, no, no, uh uh-uh, Goldie. That's not what we want to do. We ain't challenging ass for chasing rabbits. Now, I know some of my people from back in Florella that they go rabbit hunting and I always carry them a little buckshot in their pocket. Some of them, you know, some of them big old rabbits come out with the horns on them. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're going to train a dog to trail an animal, you teach it what that animal smells like. Now listen to me. You don't teach it what every animal smells like. You don't train a deer dog to know what a pigeon smells like. You don't train a deer dog to know what a raccoon smells like. You want to train a deer dog to trail deer and a coon dog to tree coons and a bird dog to point at p- birds. This is what we're supposed to do when we're studying the scriptures. We're training ourselves to follow the truth. Stop looking at a bunch of fakes If you want to know what the truth is, look at the truth. Focus on the truth. By staying clean and close to the Lord Jesus, we can learn what truth really is and we can be trained 
to follow that truth. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That word transformed right there is a Greek word that where we get the word metamorphosis. It is metamorpho. This metamorphosis is a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one. Watch this. By natural or supernatural means. Some of us have gotten in our cocoon when we were a caterpillar and we've, we were, our plan is to stay in that cocoon until Jesus comes to get us. I want you all to hear me. That's a terrible plan. The plan is to become a butterfly and fly around taking the gospel everywhere we go. The plan is to be metamorphosized. The plan is to undergo change. The, the, the plan is to be different than what you were. When you come to faith in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. What that means in the Greek is something that has never existed before now exists. Why? So that you can be different. Why do we spend so much of our Christian life trying to not be very different? I heard a guy say one time that baptism is great. The problem is we keep trying to get back in the water and pull that dead body out and give it CPR. Let it die. Leave it in there. Metamorphosis. You've, you've changed. You're a new creature. Be that. When it comes to the question of whether someone is truly saved or not, it is very simple to figure out. All right, this is, I'm going to give you this is this is deep, deep, philosophical. Ready? No change, no chance. No change, no chance. If if you got saved, you made a profession of faith, and we baptized you, and you went right back to the bottle. You went right back to porn. You went right back to cussing and carrying on and chasing women or chasing men and doing drugs and all this other stuff. No change, no chance. No fruit, no root. Same concept. This is very simple. Our transformation is an indication that we've made application of the information. I'm going to say that again. Our transformation is an indication that we have made application of the information. People know that we love Jesus when they see us live like Jesus. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. That's, what, that's how Peter wraps this, this, this letter up and wraps this statement up here. The glory there is the word doxa, which means dignity, glory, honor, praise, worship. We worship Him through our pursuit and understanding of the truth of His word. Folks, He is worthy of all the glory we can give and more both now and forever. I'm not going to get back into my thing about when people say, well, I'll get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus this. No, you're not. You're going to lay on your face and cry holy. If you're waiting until you get to heaven to give God your worship, you may never get that chance. I'm going to say that again. If you're waiting until you get to heaven to give God your worship, you may never give that chance. And church, listen to me. Don't wait till you get to church to do it either. I heard a study the other day that said a third of former church attenders have quit going to church through this uh, pandemic. Not, not quit going to the building, have quit. Stopped. Done. I ain't logging on to Facebook and watching it there. I'm not going to YouTube. I'm not going in person. I'm not going to drive up church. A third have quit going to church completely. I want y'all to hear this. 
And I don't say this with any kind of pride or arrogance. This is heartbreaking to say this. You know what that tells me? Apostates. That third wasn't going to heaven anyway. Now here's our mission. If we're going to take in information and we're going to make application and it's going to cause transformation, we've got to go get that third. And we've got to save them for the glory of King Jesus. Not to get them back into church to keep our numbers up, to get them into heaven because right now they're headed to hell. Information, application, transformation. Information should lead to application and application should lead to transformation. Without information, there is nothing to apply. But without transformation, there's no proof that you've even been informed. I'm going to say that again. Without information, there's nothing to apply. But without transformation, there's no proof that you've even been informed. Having information only means you can read the directions on how to make a chicken and rice casserole, but you can't mix it up and cook it. Can I tell you something? I, y'all, I'm, I'm going to say this. Y'all love when I talk about April's cooking. She hates it. She despises it. Almost as much as she despises when I talk about her awesome hair. <laughs> I'll pay for that one. All right, here's my point. Stay with me. Stay with me. I love her cooking. I love it. I love her pound cakes. I love her. Uh, she made chicken spaghetti last night. If you put it on top of your head, your tongue will lick your face off trying to get to it. I want you to listen to me. If all she did was lay out the, the ingredients, if she just laid out the ingredients, it wouldn't be very good, would it? I, like, I don't get fired up to run in the kitchen when I hear her open a, a bag of flour. I don't want to just go stick my face in that bag of flour and just, ah, just you know, come up with white all over my face and just look like to, like to eat it by the handful. But when she gets through putting all those ingredients together with the eggs and the sugar and the flour and she puts it in that big, big spinning mixer thingamabob that weighs about 700 pounds and costs me about $300, when she gets through doing that, hey, I'm fired up now. She, she, she'll ask me the dumbest questions. Let me, let me tell you the dumbest questions. So, Hey, do you want to lick the bowl? I want to lick the bowl. I want to lick the beaters, and I want to lick the top, the bottom part of that little spinny thing, just in case some of it splattered under there. Why? Because listen, don't miss this. Because she put all the ingredients together, and that makes it good. And when she sticks it in the oven, and it gets hot, and it comes out, I eat it, and it burns my hands. I can't wait to get a hold of it. That's what it is to know that you've been transformed. You've been informed. You've applied it. And then there's been transformation. And look what you have. Don't be settling for being a bunch of ingredients. Let God put you together and mix you up. And then put you in the oven and bake you. Tempt you. Try you. Persecute you. Mash you around. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. That's what we need. I want God to bake me. I want, him to, I want Him to mix me up. I want Him to pulverize me. I want Him to season me. I want Him to grill me. Whatever it takes to make me into what He wants me to be, what He needs me to be, so I can be useful in the hands of my King. That's what I want. And that's what I want for you. I don't want you just to come. I don't want you just to give. I don't want you just to click like on our little Facebook videos. I want you to be transformed by the risen Savior. You're never going to be transformed by me.
But I know a guy. He hung on a cross. They stuck him in a barred tomb and he rose from the grave. That's who I want you to encounter. That's who I want you to be filled with. That's who I want you to emulate. We would starve to death if we only get the recipes, but we never get the cooked meal. The whole process is interdependent and requires the power of the Holy Spirit to complete. So here's my question. How about you? Are you just a bunch of ingredients? Are you just a list of supplies? Are you a grocery list? Are you just a sack of flour laid around the kitchen? Has God really transformed you? You can sit and soak in church for a whole long time and all you'll have is information. But if you never make application, there's never going to be transformation. Can you say that you've gone, gone through all those three steps? Or are you stuck at one of them? Maybe you're stuck at information. Maybe you're still drinking from the bottle. That's fine. Nothing to be ashamed of. Take that next step. Sell out. Commit your life fully to Christ. Maybe you're stuck at application. You're still trying to figure out how to apply it. You got it and you want to do something with it. You're all fired up, but you, 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 you don't know what to look at. You don't know what to study to go to the next step. You don't know how to apply it. Maybe you've just gotten information and made application, but now you've, you've kind of failed. You've kind of fallen back to your old ways. I'm going to tell you something. I would hate to know that I was trusting whether or not I went to heaven and didn't go to hell on some profession of faith that I made 15 or 20 years ago. If I didn't have a living, breathing, walking, talking, daily relationship with Jesus, I, wouldn't, I would be scared to death at night. When I was a little kid, I, I know we're, I'm going to go long. Just gonna, I just, we're gonna, it was going to go long. When I was a little kid raised in the Assembly of God Church, they teach that you can lose your salvation. I want you all to hear me. You can't. All right? Biblically speaking, I've, I've done the research. You can't. But let me tell you something. You also can't lose what you never had. That's, that's where we mess up. Well, they just backslid. They just lost their salvation. No, they didn't. They never had salvation. They made a profession of faith. They had a religious experience. Hello? But they were never transformed by the risen Christ. They took in information, and they tried to jump straight to transformation. That's not how it works. So at night, I would lay in bed, and if I looked up and my ceiling fan made a cross, if it lined up with my bed and made a cross, I would get up and turn it. I was just so superstitious about losing. I was scared to death that I'd, you know, even when I hadn't done anything, but I was like, man, maybe I told a lie today. Because if you sin, you lose your salvation. So I was like, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I thought the wrong thing today. Maybe I said, did I cuss today? Let me think. And so I would get up and I would turn my ceiling. How stupid is that now as a grown-up? But as a stupid little kid, it freaked me out. I'm so thankful that, that that profession of faith that I made when I was 11 or 12 is not what I'm hanging my hat on. I met Jesus at 25 years old, almost 26 at Westside Baptist Church. I know that I came face to face, face to face with the risen Christ. And he changed me. I had been taking in information. But now I knew how to make application and God made a transformation. I want you to know today that He is here and He is available to change you. If you would stand and bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to linger, but we're just going to take just a minute give you an opportunity to respond to what God has been saying.
Even if I started out saying the wrong scripture, my typo was in my stuff, not yours, Peyton. <laughs> Listen, if you're here today and you have been coming to church and you have been drinking from that bottle and all you've got is a bunch of information, please don't leave that way. Please don't leave with a bottle. Please don't leave and not be able to grab a fork and knife. Please don't leave and never understand that Christ wants to change you and make what the information that goes in turn into application in your life so that you can be transformed into the image of His perfect sinless Son. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to make a public profession of faith. Come do that right now. We're not going to hesitate. We're not going to wait. I've kept you a little long. If you need to come today and tell everybody, hey, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I'm surrendering to Him. Come do that right now. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you say, hey, Brother Kevin, I've made that declaration of faith. I've given my life to Christ, but I'm not living like I've been transformed. I'm not living even to make application. I'm just holding on for dear life to some profession of faith I made. If you need to rededicate your life, you need to come today. I'm going to tell you something. Don't think that you can sneak around and not stand for Jesus and he's going to stand for you one day. If you're here today and you know that you haven't been living in, in a way that shows that you've been transformed by the risen Christ and you want to come back a public profession today that that all changes now, that you're turning from that sinful lifestyle and you're going to walk with Jesus, come right now. Move right now while we wait. Not going to linger. Jesus hung naked on a cross. I think you can walk and stand in front of, what, 55 or 60 people for him. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother Kevin, I've done both those things, but I don't have a church home. If you want to come talk to us about what it looks like to join our church and be a part of Westmobile Baptist Church, come do that right now. We've got counselors here who would be welcome to talk to you, to pray with you. If you need to make any decision, come do that right now.